Okay, test, test. Okay, I think it's working. Let me get Q up in here. Inviting people. We are talking about the latest season of Atlanta. I'm really curious to hear what people have to say. So let's see what's up. And I'm inviting Q in here. For some reason, we lost the um, the link to this episode. It took me a while to find it. This app can be weird sometimes, but um, yeah. Let people let people know we're up in here, especially if they're Atlanta fans, even if they're not Atlanta fans. Anyway, I caught up with. The five episodes of this season, but um, I mean, you don't have to wait for any big speech or breakdown from me. If you guys want to jump right into it, anybody who wants to go into the queue is welcome to just jump right into the queue. So, uh, the first thing I'll say is, I don't know. I will say I didn't like the five episodes I saw so far as much as I've liked past seasons of Atlanta, and I don't know if it's because there's anything actually worse about the show this time around or if something has changed in me or if it's that I've somehow gotten part of me thinks that maybe Donald Glover's interviews and antics and persona have kind of poisoned the well for me. That's one of my theories that maybe something about how he's been conducting himself and that pretentious interview and everything has got me not really feeling um, what he's been up to lately. I don't know. I don't know. But um, yeah, something about it just has not, something about it has just uh, not been working, not been working for me. Even things that I would normally be kind of sympathetic for, like, um, the one that was a tribute to the to Devontae Hart, you know, which is a story that I think really has not gotten enough attention, and I was kind of excited to see it discussed. And yeah, something about the way it actually turned out was just eh, I don't know, I don't know how to put it. it it's um, I haven't been too I haven't been too crazy about it. Uh, let me just check where Q is real quick. But um, the episodes, the episode I thought was the worst was the reparations episode. I have not been too crazy about that one. The best one, I think, might have been the interrogation of the phone episode. Hey, Kay, how's it going? Uh, feel free to unmute. Hey, man. I'm, I'm still... But, uh, yeah, I, I agree. I, I'm just midway through the reparations episode, so I'm not... I'm not feeling it for whatever reason. And, you know, again, this had come out two, three years ago. I don't know how. Oh, wait a minute. You're sounding choppy. I'm not sure why. I heard you say you made the way oh. to the reparations episode. Um, I don't know. Uh, yeah. Uh, Sorry about that. Is it is it coming in and out? Uh, it's coming clearer now. Um, okay. I, I'll tell you if it starts getting choppy again. But, yeah, it sounds, it sounds clearer now. Yeah, I'm midway through the reparations episode. And 
and uh, uh, I've, I've sort of partially enjoyed. Oh man, it's doing the choppy thing again. I, um, are you using are you using a blue are you using yeah. a Bluetooth or maybe it's your Wi-Fi? I'm not sure what's going on. Yeah, I think it's my 5G. I've been using a lot of it this last couple of weeks. So I think it's probably just limiting me and it's not like that. Oh, oh, like oh, like it's throttling or something. What's going on? I, I'll try. Yeah, I don't know if there's something you can do if you change, change, change. I don't know if you can change something, maybe the um, microphone or whatever you're connecting to. Yeah, because something is making it choppy. I can hear you clear for a couple of seconds, then it gets uh, choppy again. Hey, Q, how's it going? Hey, man, I'm good. How are you doing? Uh, not bad, not bad. I was excited to hear what Kay had to say, but he's having a little bit of problems with the... Uh, with the um, mic, I hope you can get it uh, cleared up because I always appreciate Kay's thoughts. Mm -hmm. Also, people in the uh, listening thing, feel free to share uh, that this episode is up with uh, anybody in your social medias or text people, let them know that uh, we're up. And yeah, let's get it popping. Um, yeah, so uh, what, what, have you, what have your thoughts been? I haven't like hated it, except for maybe the reparations episode, but nothing... None of it felt necessary, I guess, to the extent that television can feel necessary. You know, like if someone, I know someone could probably say, being a smartass, is, is any TV necessary? But I mean, to the extent that TV can be deemed um, necessary, nothing about this feels like, wow, I feel better for having watched this. Yeah, it's, uh, I, there's like shows that, the hardest shows for me to get through are the ones that I feel indifferent towards. Like, like um, when I watched Lovecraft Country, I really didn't like Lovecraft Country, so it was easy for me to watch because, like, the wheels are so turning true. us to, yeah, like what it is that I really don't like about this and about this and about this, and then like I'm I'm like, as I'm watching it, um, it's easy for me to analyze what it is that's so wrong with it, but then for this season of Atlanta, it's like, I barely even remember what I watched, and some of the episodes were like so like, the actual episodes. That had to do with um, with Urn and, and Paperboy um, in Europe. Um, they're in Holland, right? Um, uh, they're in Holland. Then they moved to uh, England. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So like, I like I I was it was hard for me to even keep track of like what differentiated each episode because they were I, I don't know like there was nothing about like the first couple of seasons which. I uh, sort of like established Atlanta as this sort of, I don't know, like it's almost like Atlanta took on a character of its own. Like the, the city of Atlanta that is in the show um, was its own character, but then that character's missing from the, from season three. So without that, it's just these weird, like these weird people doing awkward shit in Europe. And then for the, the two dream episodes, like the, the sidetrack episodes, the first one, I, I don't know. Like I saw where it was going immediately when um, they brought the they brought the the foster son. Uh, what was his name? Uh, uh, Laquarius. Yes. Yeah. When they brought him into the the foster home, and he was talking about like the food smells and whatever. And then there was uh, there was two moms. I'm like, oh, I know exactly where this is going. And so I could at least like watch it for the purpose of seeing how like how, you know, what they did with the the story and the ending 
And then the reparations one, I was like, I'm just not sold on this. Like, it seems like Donald Glover has a very limited view as to what would constitute reparations and what would be necessary for white people to process in a world where reparations became possible. And then yeah. for the European episodes, I was just like, I don't really even care what's going on right now. And now like the microaggressions, I guess, were interesting, but not really. I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm just tired of, I think I'm tired of in general with I feel like a lot of um, middle class and the blacks, the shows that they make. There's too many episodes that talk about, oh, my God, can you believe this microaggression happened? And it yeah. just seems like, okay, a lot of interesting microaggressions happened to you through your life. And you told yourself one day, oh, oh I got to put this in something I'm working on one day. And so you put them in. But it's like, okay. So, I mean, in doses, it could be okay. But I guess too many shows by these people do it. So it's like uh, all these things where it's like, wow, did someone really say that? It's like, um, okay, like. It's not terrible, but I'm a little over over that. Uh, but yeah. I will say those episodes were better than to me than the digression episodes. I will say at least they had moments, whereas the other ones didn't really have moments to me. Like I don't know if giving Devontae Hart a happy ending somehow makes it even worse. I didn't like that idea. Yeah, yeah I didn't I like, like that at all. Yeah, I think not giving it a happy ending makes it too depressing for a comedy. But in giving it a happy ending without any statement behind it, just kind of ends up trivializing it. So then I'm like, okay, what is the lesson learned from here? Like, like, like what is the lesson learned? Like, is bad for white people to adopt, adopt kids? Black, yeah. Black, or black is it kids? like that, uh, you know, black kids should listen to their parents. Otherwise, you know, it's, it was almost like a, like a Grimm's fairy tale. Yeah. Except that I'm not sure what the lesson actually um, was. Cause at the, at the end it was like, first of all, like, is this shitting on black parents? But then it kind of showed later that, she really did love him in a way, you know, and yeah. But then I'm like, okay, so that's nice. But at the same time, she didn't go look for him, so I'm like, yeah. And, and also like the whole him. like, all right, well, just leave. It's like, yeah, like any black parent that's gonna be willing to show up at school and be like, no, you're not gonna hold my child back. Um, so it's, it was like she cared for her child's welfare, but I also have a hard time believing that any black parent that cares for the child's welfare, knowing what. See, like, uh, I mean, I guess you call it uh, what CPS on there, child protective C- yeah, services. CPS, yeah, yeah. Yep. And we call it CAS, Children's Aid Services. But like, knowing what uh, CAS does to kids, like every black family has, or I don't know, like most black families, at least the ones that I know, um, know what it's like for kids who end up in that system. Because a lot of us have like family members who either have had their children taken away, um, or people in our social circle that have gone through those systems and it's absolute fucking hell. So the idea that she would just give up on her son that easily and let him go into the system that like that right away was not, I don't know. And also not, yeah, it look, wasn't, it wasn't believable to me. Him. And also not look for him. But then when he shows up, be like, Oh, so you finally home. As long as yeah. like, wait a minute, how does she think he's going to get home? Like, what does she think social services is like, like yeah. that, that, that she would just not look for him, but think that, you know, he could just will himself back home. And it seems to be kind of trying to show, hey, you know, she has her flaws, but she's a good parent and she cares. And I'm like, that's a good message, but you've, you've botched that to me. Remember, like, um, when we were, we were having, a, like, a, a, a conversation about the, um, uh, the, the Drake episode, like the episode where they were at Drake's mansion, and then 
Uh, there was yeah. the black woman that had the the conversation with that white lady that was in an interracial relationship with a guy she likes. And remember yeah. how like on remember her saying like, okay, the the way that the conversation went down, like I understand what he was trying to get at, having that conversation take place, but the way the conversation went down was just completely unrealistic to me. Like it's just yeah, same that's here. not that's not a real conversation that I would see happening between a white woman and a black woman. I just don't. And mm. it was the same thing. Like it kind of felt. Like, I really don't like when um, writers write dialogue in such a way that it breaks the immersion. And you can tell that the actors are really just marionettes that are moving their mouths. But it's really the writer's thoughts coming out instead. Yeah, yeah, and, exactly. Yeah, and that's the, the, the parents in that episode. That was That's what that was like. I think they were, like, trying so hard to reference Devontae Hart and also to reference the three slaps meme. Like, I, I don't know if you've seen that video. Um, where his uh, father has his son at school, like he's leaning up against the locker and he smacks him across the face three times. No, no, I didn't. I didn't <clears> know that. But but I'm glad you told me that because that leads to another point I was gonna make. Because yeah. for someone who in his interview is bragging so much about how he doesn't give a fuck about the internet, and social media, and like social media. There are like, every episode has references yeah, off the internet. So much. I mean, just because you don't actively tweet, you're clearly lurking on the internet because there's so much. Um, internet references and apparently i missed some because i didn't know about the, the, the three steps one so i'm like yeah uh, okay stop pretending that, 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 that you're not inspired by the internet or you're not or the you're video must have been people. like uh it must be like maybe three or four years old but yeah it was the exact it was the exact same it was shot from a different angle but it was the exact same like posture body language and everything where the father is like leaning over the locker raises his hand, his hand and smacks his kid across the face three times like yeah also also, the kid dancing on the desk when they find out they're going to see Black Panther. Black Panther, that yeah. Was, that was that was when the internet, uh, where a bunch of kids were, uh, got announced they're going to see Black Panther, and then one of the kids goes on the desk and dance. That was straight. So I was like, okay, stop pretending like, like you're too good. Just because you, you stopped tweeting, you're clearly still lurking. On the internet, and, yeah. And, and, and Kay, uh, if you want to chime yeah. in, I want to see if, you're, if your mic is better now. Yeah, can you guys hear me? I was still, it was yeah, still getting the register. Yeah, 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 yeah you sound better now. Well, I appreciate y'all mentioning the thing about the three slaps. Is another thing. I, I, it sounded familiar, but I couldn't remember if somebody sent it to me. You said it was a few years ago, so I'm sure somebody sent it to me. Uh, but that's just interesting that it's so much filled with these little things that don't go anywhere. Because the grandpa wasn't overly angry or mad or mean after that. It was just almost like this figure came in like a ghost, did this slap, and you're supposed to think that's a quirky black family. Well, well, the um, grandfather, the grandfather did say when the people came to pick him up, uh, you better take him out of here or before I do something to him, something like that. So there was yeah, one, one just that, mean thing the grandfather did. Yeah, it just felt like so robotic in a, you know, again, marionette in that way in terms of just you're seeing these figures of a black mom who's not minstrelsy, angry black woman. She's just quirky, angry black woman, right? Like this kind of stuff you see. Well, never mind. Stuff you you see very parodied in a very careful way, right? Almost like it's carved to not be minstrelsy of the 70s or the 80s. It's a new kind of minstrelsy where we say and do odd things, but it's still black in a certain way. It just bu- it bugged me a little bit, especially knowing that the three slaps came directly from something off the internet too, right? Um, and again, it's not that none of these families can't have quirkiness or oddness and everything, but it just made me think about what, black horror has become since get out in terms of just throwing a bunch of quirky black things in 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 a direction and seeing what sticks i'm not saying they don't have a careful craftsmanship around this because i was very 
horrified by what was happening to that kid, remembering the story of that kid. You know, it took me a while to figure out that this is what yeah. they were parodying. I think so, the problem anyway. with this thing, I think the problem mm-hmm. with this thing too is he's been off of this for a couple of years. So he has a couple of years of internet references to catch up on, it seems. And he's right. just trying to get them all in. And he, and some of the stuff is already tired. So he, he sat out, you know, doing like the Han Solo movie and all these other things he's doing. Uh, mm. he, he sat out the whole black horror thing. So the way that the first episode opened with them on a boat, I'm like, okay, he's clearly trying to reference like black horror. And it seemed like the whole episode seemed to be kind of Devontae Hart played out as a Jordan Peele-esque uh, Grimm's fairy tale. Yeah. And, um, and it's like, okay, I'm just so tired of this now. Maybe when you came up with this, it was kind of fresh in your head, but between your conception and getting it on the air, there have been so many horrible Jordan Peele-esque uh, rip-off shows. And even one of the um, lesbian mothers was in Lovecraft Country. I'm like, even have people from other <laughs> Jordan Peele. Yeah, yeah, uh, the, the Gale lady. That was um, the lady that was that morphing one character into... who would morph. Yeah, she would morph into a yeah. white woman. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It also reminded me of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. You know, just how you take a horrific story and then you give it a nice little tag ending. It. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if that was something that was kind of inspire, inspirational in terms of what are we doing with this story? Are we going to tell this exact same horrible story with the same horrific ending? You know, it can't. Sorry about that. It got, no, no, that's fine. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, I was going to say it just gave me a worry about like where this was going. And then you got to do that little snap ending. It just made me go, oh, are you you doing this because Tarantino did it or because it seemed to inspire you around it? It's not irresponsible storytelling unless you have a, you know, a certain kind of a, a particular bent towards like, hey, where are we going with this? What are we going to do with this? How are we going to wrap this? What is this making you feel? Because there's a lot of things that make me feel something, but I'm not sure if it's going in any particular direction. Anyway, sorry. Something I didn't like too was that he had, didn't really have any connection with the other black kids. And the other black kids were just kind of there, like props. And I would have kind of liked to see him talk to them or have some kind of camaraderie with them. But they were just there. And it just annoyed me that he did not seem to even interact with them at all. Even when he hops out of the car, he doesn't care what happened to them. Or he try to save them, too. He just saves himself, and then he walks home. He's not even thinking about them. And then as an afterthought on the TV, the other kids... um come on it's like hey all of them survived because i was like yeah this kid is like super super kid all of a sudden he he's yeah yeah but but when all the kids survived he didn't seem to care one way or the other he wasn't he didn't seem sad that okay i survived but the other kids died but when they when they revealed to be alive he's eating cereal and and they they survived no thanks to him he didn't uh help them he just helped himself but fine um Mm. he, he didn't have any reaction he was he just kept eating eating his cereal and i just thought like Okay, that just seems weird. Like I, I feel like maybe they realize after the fact. What about the other kids? It, the episode's still a downer. This just shoot it's extra thing and just throw it in there. And it, I, I don't know. Like the queries just seem like a blank cipher. I, I didn't really connect with him much on any level, really. Yeah, it wasn't his point of view, or this didn't seem like it. Because all of a sudden we were, we were being hid from this little crafty, little fresh, like from the film fresh character who all of a sudden had the smarts to outsmart these girls who these women who seem to be kind of psychopathically kind of 
holding him hostage, but he was still kind of not bothered by it. So that was a strange thing, right? You thought he had some sort of skill or cleverness, but the cleverness wasn't in, in the acting. It was it was a strange mix, man. You know, there was also this weird thing happening where it seemed to be showing a weird kind of sympathy for the white ladies in little ways. And I'll tell you what I mean. Like first, the beginning thing in the boat where um, that guy in the the white guy in that get out kind of moment is telling the black guy in the boat about how white people are kind of trapped by slavery and white supremacy too because they've separated themselves from the black man and now they see the black man as cursed but as a result they've stopped seeing their own humanity and they don't realize like they're slaves too and it just seems like the kind of talk that that anti-racist people do sometimes where it's like oh racism hurts white people just as much as black people and you know it's everybody's problem and this and that and then that 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 was the beginning of the episode and then at the end the one lesbian's telling the other one, like, why didn't anybody stop us? You know? Almost <laughs> like saying all the signs were there. We needed someone to intervene and stop us. And white supremacy, like, we're almost a victim of it, too, because um, we were almost giving red flags and nobody was stopping us. And we had no choice but to do what we what we did. And so, you know, it's like mm-hmm. uh, they, they, they needed to be saved from themselves. And that tie-in at the end and then the poignant drive, they're looking at each other and everything. Uh, I don't I, I even feel bad for these people because I don't want to I'm, I'm also people. thinking to myself, like, so keep in mind, um, the Devontae Hart's uh, adoptive moms made him go and take those pictures with the police officers hugging them. Yeah. Right? Like, yes. it, wasn't, it wasn't a total coincidence. So it's like it took the, I don't know, it was like one one parent was kind of like detached and didn't really care much about the kids. Maybe she's like, she cares about the payments that they got um, for fostering them. And then the other one has this strange, like, like almost like a, she's trying to make up for some sort of missing matronly attachment that she didn't get herself. Like she's trying to do a matronly thing. So yeah, Mm -hmm. like she almost seemed like a pitiable character, but in real life, those two women were, I mean, I don't know. Like, there's a lot that uh, is being inferred yeah. um, about about those women's characters that I don't even necessarily think was there. They seemed to be like, well, if we can't have these children, nobody will. You know what I mean? Yeah, and they seem to be a lot more actively abusive. Also, there's implications to me in the story, uh, the real story, that there was actually like sexual abuses too, because they would have the kids pose in like their underwear and weird stuff that kind of made me think like, you know, something's weird there. Like what, what's, what's going on? Like why are you putting on social media in like briefs and all these weird things? And so, yeah, I mean, it was written by Stephen Glover, who was the same person that wrote that uh, episode we were talking about. That's Donald Glover's brother. He wrote the one where, you know, the black woman was having a yeah, Teddy, uh yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. With, with, the, with the interracial couple. And yeah, he has a lot of choices I'm not really crazy about in general. I noticed in his episodes. What's interesting is the reparations episode was written by someone who seems to be either white or uh, whitish Latina, um, Francesca Sloan. Uh, if, you, if you look, if you look her up, it says she was raised like in America and Guatemala, but she looks kind of white, and her last name is Sloan. So I don't know what her ethnicity is. But um, mm. he used to have an all-black writers' room, and that was a big thing he's kind of brag about or get props for so i'm like wait a minute um on top of everything else he's quietly putting 
white or whitish people into the writer's room. I thought, I thought that was an interesting uh, little little change that went unremarked. And that, mm-hmm. that's, that's, that's an example of something that would have been great if he had a real hostile interviewer and not that fake hostile interview that he did with himself, <laughs> you know? Well, that, you, you reminded me that, that that ending to the Devante story, why it made me kind of a little worry in the same way that people would worry about the Once, in the, once Upon a Time in Hollywood, because they're both changing stories about something that, you know, the relatives of these folks or whatever have some sort of problem. But this is a kid now, and a kid who's now dead, and a kid who apparently had no no biological kind of connection that could have at least said, hey, what do you think? Are you telling my kid's story? You know, I mean, I'm assuming this kid doesn't have any biological connection. That's assuming a lot. But the fact that they were telling this kid's story and giving him a happy ending, again, especially with all that extra empathy, uh, empathy for the two white lesbians who were having this psychopathic moment between them around what they were going to do to get away from the situation. And, you know, just murdering another woman, apparently another black woman that, you know, that everything seemed to be so crazy that I was like, did you get permission from any of this? Or who's who's responsible for this kid's real story then? If we're, if we're all of a sudden playing this tag ending at the end too. It just seemed very irresponsible. That's all I'll say. And maybe that's what I mean by it's, you can do whatever you want to do, but why do that? Unless you're going to have some larger, maybe he's making some larger point in the whole season, but good Lord. Yeah. I, yeah. It, I don't, it, it I don't hurt know. Me. Uh, something quick about the reparations thing. So I looked at Francesca Sloan. She is actually, she identifies as, Latinx. She was um, part of this open letter by 270 Latinx writers that just into Hollywood that was spearheaded by John Leguizamo. Um, uh, John Leguizamo, whenever black people get representation. Oh my God. Not uh, one of, not them. Jesus yeah, Christ. yeah. She's, she's part of, she's part of that group. She was a, a signatory on John Leguizamo's letter. And they put in it that, you know, they were inspired by the gains that, you know, BIPOC, which just means black. Uh, I, I don't know why they say BIPOC in the situation, because uh, basically it, it's been mainly black people. It's been mainly black people making the gains in um, in um, representation. You know, like indigenous people haven't gotten that much, that many more gains, and other POC like like Asians haven't had a marked increase except for maybe crazy rich Asians and stuff. Uh, most of the growth of representation has been through, um, you know, through black people. And I will say as annoying as uh, black blue checks can be, I'll give them credit. They are good at increasing and making noise about getting more jobs. And they've been doing that. So, so uh, she's one of the signatories on that letter. And interestingly, you know, she now joined um, the writing team of Atlanta and she's, writing a reparations storyline, which I think is weird. Like, why not have a black person on cast write that? That's that's uh, interesting to me. But, I mean, maybe they thought she could be more neutral about it or something because she's not uh, uh, typically white or black. But Yeah, but it was absolutely really think... ridiculous because this, like... Yeah, it didn't work. Like, this, like, well, not, it was, not only did it not work, it was, like, it was farcical on his face. This idea that... A black woman just would just like show up to a dude's house and be like, "All right, this is my house now because your ancestors owned mine." Like, okay, him and probably like hundreds of other people. Like, how many <clears throat> how many people would have descended from that same bloodline? It wouldn't just be like, <clears throat> you know, one family have like one set of kids, or or one one child who then marries to somebody else and has one child. Like, there would probably be a fairly large like. Uh, spread out family tree 
from which she might be able to claim reparations. But then that also individualizes the issue as if to say that the claim of reparations, and this is what like, this kind of falls into what white people always end up doing whenever the conversations, conversation about reparations comes around, which is like, oh, well, you know, I'm not responsible for my ancestors. So why should I have to pay? And it's like, well, nobody's asking you to pay. Uh, it's people asking the government to pay. Like there's, there's a, there's a claim to be made against the U S government. So whatever it is, yeah. like if you say that, oh, you know, I am paying. Well, it, 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 the the public purse isn't contingent, or uh, it doesn't it doesn't reflect how much you as a person pay. Like the education budget, uh, or the uh, like the infrastructure budget, they don't come to your house and be like, all right, so because you use X amount of road on a yearly basis, we're going to take X amount of money from you. It, it doesn't work that way. Your money simply goes into yeah, the public purse based on yeah. yeah, based on your 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 taxable income. So it's coming from everybody, even other black people. So th- this idea that like it would be a one to one conversation between this this black woman and this white dude, it it not only misses the mark, but it trivializes the reparations issue. Uh, it doesn't just trivialize it, but it also legitimizes some of the more ridiculous yeah. fears and and fantasies and scaremongering of. Um, anti-reparations people like this idea that oh they're gonna come and they're gonna storm into my house and take everything I own as opposed to what it will really be which is maybe taxes will go up a little bit you know what I mean but it's um or or other or other areas of government spending would go down like if they exactly if they decreased the um the military budget down to let's say like 1970s levels which you like if you see the amount of spare equipment and troops that the United States has, there's yeah. absolutely no reason for the for the amount of military spending to be what it is. So if they ended up like doing a, a drawdown on military spending, um, you could I, I'm actually exaggerating when I say down to 1970s levels. You could bring it back down to like you know like uh, early 2000s levels, and you, it wouldn't even make a dent in anybody's uh, in anybody's pocketbook um, when yeah. uh, reparations are apportioned out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it got all these good write-ups for being so good on reparations and spreading the issue, but they were more into giving the moral side of it, which, again, I think is silly, you know, because um, trying to play to people's morality on on the issue and hearts and minds, but not like the practical politics. It, it doesn't matter if you get the practical politics and logistics of it of it wrong like i think whatever type of good after school special reparations message you gave that you had to get the white guy give to the other white guy in the um eating area is undone by that damaging framing that that you gave that that misinformation of what you described of you know yeah they're gonna they're gonna storm your homes and 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 now and now you're gonna have to be in poverty or you're gonna have to live as a waiter well, even the idea that you as a white person like there's something for you to give up and i think um the the broader message behind that is what a lot of these hollywood um black and like poc liberals end up doing is thinking that all of this is some zero-sum game so it's like in order for us to have more power and more influence on industry outcomes then you have to be willing to give up something and that's absolutely not true all it means is that uh, the the people who are doing the creative work and making the money should have more ability to steer conversations, uh, to help figure out like what projects get greenlit, 
um, you know, who, where where is on the spotlight on perhaps like lesser known or undiscovered writers, actors, etc. But that doesn't require anybody to give up power but or even to share it. It just means that like all you have to do is exercise, I don't know, like basic common sense and figure, well, if there's a much more diverse audience, perhaps it's a good idea to look at more diverse types of storytelling. But I think part of the problem is that's their wet dream to make uh, white people uncomfortable, to uh, impose themselves on white people socially, to uh, make white people um, acknowledge them or pay for uh, microaggressions and all this stuff. So a lot of the episode was about like you know, uh, yeah, and it's black, just like I don't think people, the, yeah. the average black like nobody gives a shit about that. Like I don't, yeah, they just, I don't they, fucking white, care about white, white people white being people, uncomfortable. White people don't. Yeah, white people don't live rent-free in the average black person's mind the way that they live rent-free in these people's minds. So it, it isn't like if they got a reparation check, like, they'd be fine. They don't need but, – but this thing about all the black co-workers making little asides and, like, laughing. And now this final wonderful moment is this scene of all these black people eating in the nice restaurant and the white people serving it. I'm like, okay, that's what this means to you, like, the idea of, like, getting – um, this little petty revenge against um white people, but what you've lost through misinformation is con- this conversation. Like I don't think most people. And, and you saw that little that little qu- that actually made me go and look up who wrote the episode because I was like, okay, so there's uh Latino um staff in the kitchen, and the white dude when oh, he's spoken right. to in Spanish, he responds in you know fairly fairly good Spanish. And then the dude laughs at him and says, ha, ha, you keep doing that. And they're going to put you on, they're going to have you busting tables. It's like, oh, okay. I see what you're trying to say. So it's like, this is a dynamic. This is a power dynamic happening between white people and black people. And you feel like you're left out. I'm like, it, I'm like, mm-hmm. there's, it's either somebody who's married to a Hispanic person or an Hispanic writer. Let me go and look this up. And then lo and behold. Yeah. Yeah. She, she, she's Latina. So she, she, she inserted herself in the conversation. She gets her a little bit of revenge on, on the gringos uh, herself. And I didn't even get that joke. What I mean by and because busboy is a demotion, right? Not a promotion or. Uh, well, no, bus. You know what a busboy is, right? You're the one. You're the one who cleans off like the. Yeah, you're cleaning up the tables. And what was he doing? He was uh, he was waitstaff. So like, if you're if you're busing, like you're not actually taking orders or anything in a restaurant. If you're busing, um, you don't uh, get tips directly from customers. You get tipped out at the end of the night. So the waitstaff will give up a portion of their tips to um, boost a little bit of money for the cooks and for the, the busing staff and the dishwashers, et cetera. Oh, no, no. I understand what a bus, bus boy does. What I'm saying is, is this supposed to be a step up from, like he's just saying. No, no, down, that- down. Like if you, if you keep talking like that, they're going to bust you down to bus boy. So, but what does that mean? Is he saying that because you speak Spanish well, they're going to they're gonna mistake you for a Latino and bust you down? Or is yeah, that- exactly. Yeah, they're going to mistake you for a Latino and then like demote you to bus boy. Oh, so that's that's weird. I don't get that. What the point of that joke is? If, if, if that, it struck me as so off, I was like, "All right, weird." Like that didn't make maybe, a lot of sense. And then when I, I saw him, he, yeah, I thought maybe he was trying to say, "You're getting too comfortable. Know your place. If you keep getting uh, comfortable and mouthy, and even start speaking Spanish, you know, uh, they're gonna demote you." Uh, I mean, it, it wasn't clear either way. I don't know what was. I'm oh, sorry, but go on. No, it just seemed to me like the fact that he was speaking Spanish was what was going to be enough to get him demoted to to busing tables. 
but oh, okay. it, it was the it, it was um when i saw him go out and and start waiting tables and it was all black diners and white servers i was like oh i see what you're trying to say so it's like in this psychodrama and this like power struggle between white people and black people you feel left out okay i got it and that was just yeah, like yeah I was like, what a shitty thing to throw into a story like that. Like, on top of already having misrepresented the issue of reparations to the extent that you're saying that what's most important here is that white people get uncomfortable. To the, like, not just uncomfortable, but, like, one white dude blows his fucking brains out in a public space because he just can't deal with the idea of paying, paying black people reparations out of his own pocket. But that's these people yeah. kind of fantasy. Like, like they want them to pay for because a lot of these people grew up in majority white spaces and have a lot of love hate relationship with white people, and they're so fixated on their weird like revenge and um and and turnabout fantasies. It's in a lot of their work, a lot of their things. This idea of like turnabout and make make whitey dance and everything. Whereas I feel like. That's not really. Yeah, it's like that... they're, it's like all of their aspirations is that internet meme where it's just uh, this one black dude uh, in a cotton field with two white guys that are shirtless picking cotton, and the black dude has yeah. like got his got his hands raised with a belt in midair, and then you see like the smiling ghost of Martin Luther King in the background, and it's like, yes. is it, I'm like, is that what shapes your entire worldview? Like reversing the damage done to your ancestors, which you don't even know about, by the way, but like you know, uh, trying to like turn the tables on them and heal that historical trauma and it's like so you barely but, but, even but, but, you barely but, even know enough to form coherent sentences about what their lives were like in the first place and you feel really hard done by because you haven't been allowed into these spaces and you think that what's powering your revanchist fantasies is ancestral pain and what it really is is just career envy it's it's status anxiety yeah i think they use the ancestral stuff as um a way to woke wash it and give it more legitimacy and make it seem less petty but i don't think that's really what motivates them because they don't really seem to have a higher opinion of the ancestors themselves when they get a chance to um you know depict them more or tell their stories well so yeah i think you're absolutely right i think it's really a kind of petty bourgeois lifestyle um um comprador type of uh envy issue that they're trying to dress up in something like I was in the bookstore and I saw a wall of black voices books and I made the mistake of looking at it. And oh, that was uh, your first mistake. There, yeah. There, there were all these, um, YA novels and they were just all look so terrible. And I was just picking up a few and looking at the blurbs on them. And one of them was called like the black kids. Cause it was, it said, uh, a searing, why a story in the LA riots and everything? I was like, oh, that's interesting. Like, they're gonna talk about the LA riots in a young young adult book. Okay, let me see. Like, maybe this will pleasantly surprise me. That I I read the blurb and it was like, uh, Chantel, whatever her name is, is having her best senior year ever. She and her her friends are you know on top of the hierarchy. The seniors, they're uh, the cool kids at the of the school. They're having uh the best final year then the la riots happen and now suddenly uh she's realizing she, she's one of the black kids and so i'm like wait a minute you took the la riots and took you made a story with the la riots just to talk about how it fucked it up the main would characters take the la riots for a black child to learn that she's a black child what the fuck man no i guess she felt she was uh, colorblind, one of the cool kids in this majority, I'm presuming it's a majority white school, 
because in a black school, why would you care about being one of the black kids? And now everyone's looking at her basically like, are you one of them? As in, you know, those ones rioting. Uh, so, so now she feels like the spokesperson. Or White people occupy that... so much space, like so much real estate in these people's mind. Can I ask yeah, you guys a question? Can, can I ask you guys a question? Yeah, absolutely. Do you guys think this is, I mean, do you have, how do I say this? Do you have any empathy for the notion of them having anxiety around who the hell they are in life? Not just as black people, but in life, period. Like when you're able to kind of throw around these things and talk about ancestors and dress yourself up in kente cloth and do all these things, I, I wonder about where they are in their minds. You know, it's, I mean, identity just might be that identity of being black. It's so broad. I wonder if it's it's a real concern for them, like I existentially. I try. I mm-hmm. try to, but every but what happens is, um, th- this is what keeps me from fully being able to empathize. Is every time I get close to empathizing, please, they they do this thing where. They um like let's use the Black Lives Matter thing as an example and everything. Like, okay, if you have these identity problems, okay, that's fine. But when you come around and you come around black people and you declare yourself the leader of black people, like if they came back down to be among black people but in uh hat in hand, hey, mm-hmm. I don't feel comfortable around my people, but I want to feel comfortable. Black people are the most welcoming, forgiving people on the planet. They would they would let them in if they came in a certain way, but I think the problem is they get rejected by white people, and then they come in among black people because they feel like almost like banished, like they're only going to see me as um, a black person. These, <clears throat> even even to get in among white people, my only value uh, to these white people is as the manager of black people. If I could convince them that I am somehow a um, Negro whisperer, and they don't come in humble. They come in like, okay, okay, I was kicked out by management to be in charge of you guys. They're like, wait a minute, we didn't appoint you. It's like, anyway, uh, here's how it's going to go. Uh, I'm going to be the leader, and you're going to have to do this and that, and you're going to help me get rich, and you're going to do whatever. And uh, I'm I'm your spokesperson now. I was appointed by the white people. And then when regular black people don't go along with that, you know, they get very indignant. They get, the so, they get so, like... Not, not just upset, but they get like, um, I don't know what the word is exactly. Oh, <laughs> no, not even just that, but like antagonist. Like, how fucking dare you? Like, how dare yeah. you? Speak for yourself. Do you yeah, not know yeah, exactly. who I am? Like, you know, you know who really embodies that to me was uh, that Ray Sonny chick, who like I oh, felt yeah. I felt bad for the way that she would occasionally get dogged out, but she kept like that. She kept doing that. She couldn't stop herself. From like every every time, uh, somebody would... there's a contempt there. That's yeah, the that's that's the word I was looking for. Like this 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 contemptuous attitude. Like mm-hmm. every time that people got on her case, she didn't it, it didn't cross her mind to be like, wow, maybe I fucked up and said something wrong. I should just I th- I should apologize and be a little bit more humble. It was just like, no, well, you just don't understand because you don't know sci-fi or you don't know this, that, and the third. And like, and as you talk about like, it, when I completely lost like all sympathy for her was when she was doing the whole like, oh, well, um, yeah, I, I, I fucked a white dude yesterday and I let him like jizz all inside me. She was like talking about like this, this like, she was giving this graphic depiction of, of how a white man fucked her. And I'm like, Jesus do you, Christ. 
Do you think we re- like? Why would you think anybody cares about your fucking sex life? Like, but but she tied into that you have. She, she tied yeah. into voting for Joe Biden, which is like the weirdest. <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, do you? I'm like, do you? Ha- do you have such few black friends, or are are you around so so few black people that you actually think that who you fuck makes a difference to anybody besides you? Like that, and that when she did that, I was like, "You don't know any fucking black people, and you have just as much contempt for black people as white people do." Sorry, like, fuck yourself, you know? Yeah, yeah. I agree with everything you're saying. I think the gauntlet for being humble around black people that you've been hardy around is that you get you get you get roasted, you get fiercely kind of put through the grinder as far as your ego, and that's not. I'm sure for some people that you're describing. That's the the that's I guess that's the uh, version of being on the front of the bus when you're a kid, right? Going through that same grinder of feeling like you don't belong amongst them, and so maybe that's what keeps them from being humble, right? Because they know they got to get roasted a little bit too. I'm I'm just giving a I'm I'm sort of being I mean, a, a you know devil's I mean, advocate. I, I mean maybe because they're very fixated with the idea of what it'd be like to walk into a black barbershop. so maybe they. And, and their ideas of black barbershops, so they're gonna, they're gonna walk in, everyone's gonna turn toward them, and then just start like you know staring at them. Like they have a very interesting, yeah, yeah. Maybe that maybe what you're talking about ties into their fantasies of what a black barbershop is. Yeah, it's like, just really yeah. It's always the yeah. the barbershop that I don't know. Like they they seem so fixated on it. Every actually, I'm I'm actually I'm a little bit surprised. We haven't seen barbershop discourse for a little while now. But mm-hmm. every time it would come up, like it's one of the things that just gets me so fucking infuriated because I'm like. All right, I'm I am positive that there are barbershops where you've had shitty experiences where somebody has said something sexist, somebody said something uh something homophobic or transphobic. Like I'm absolutely positive that has happened. I haven't been to any myself where that has happened, but I'm not going to use my own experiences to diminish anybody else's. On the other hand, to talk mm-hmm. about the barbershop as if it's like the fucking hell mouth of toxic black masculinity, like you walk in there it, it's almost like walking into like doctor who's uh like walking into doctor who's tardis and it's like suddenly much bigger on the inside and it's like all you're seeing is just like fucking it's it's, it's hell there's like lava flowing and there's like <laughs> like fucking devil bats and, and and demons turning people on on roasted spits and shit it's like god damn like what do you think it's like in there yeah yeah it, it, it's weird but you know i don't totally blame the latina writer for this because they made the choice to give it to her and the way writers' rooms work, uh, there's two things to know about writers' room. The head writer, the main thrust of the of the episode, gets the credit, but the whole writers' team gets to contribute. So we don't know exactly which parts, you know, she contributed. Uh, like, you know, I got a feeling that black people serving the white people. I'm sure some of the bougie black people in the writers' room might have thrown that in there. Then, like you said, she added in. Well, hey, I don't want to be left out of making making the gringos uh, pay, so I'm I'm sorting myself in this narrative, whatever. And <laughs> and 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 so I don't. So first, they shouldn't have given it to her to write. Period. Unless she had some kind of specific insight into this that you know made her, even though she wasn't black or white, uh, made her a particular expert. Like this is Latina professor who is an expert in uh, reparations, and she's always uh, advocating about them. So I can send someone like her maybe. You know, being invited, but this lady doesn't seem to have any type of insight, and not, and also we have no idea what the other people um, on the staff contributed um, themselves. But you know, I just think 
at the end of the day, the creators of the show and the showrunners have the final say on what goes on that screen and nothing that they didn't approve of um, or gave insight on is going to end up on there. And they're like weird revenge fantasies are so weird. They don't even make logistics sense because, okay, if you're going to pay all these reparations by garnishing white people's checks, why would you want them to be waiters and busboys? So you have 15% <laughs> of that. They make less than minimum wage. They have to get paid off of tips. Oh, I, 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 what I was assuming was that he was doing that job in addition to his, his day job. Oh, so he has to have extra. I assumed extra. that he was like moonlighting to, yeah, to, to be able to make a living. Jesus. I mean, okay, maybe, maybe they weren't that clear about it, but yeah, maybe, maybe that's the case. I don't know, it, but but um, yeah, I, I could watch it again. Maybe it's up for interpretation. I I'd, I could watch it again, and and maybe I'll, I'm wrong on that. But that was my assumption: is that like, oh, okay, so he's got to take a second job to pay his bills. It does make it does make more sense. So I'll give it I'll give it that. So that's good at least. But if he can take a second job, why does he take that job if he's a professional? This seems weird. Like I don't know. It's um. Yeah, it's almost suggesting that, like you, like the way you have a baby, and now you have to get a second job in order to afford. <laughs> it's very, it's a very unfortunate message, right? Well, but but even, <laughs> but even if it's a second job, what did it take that? Like those things to be very thing, very specific about. I want you to do a service job, and that's the part that I wasn't um, getting because there's there's a lot of ways for people to make second second incomes without having to um, have a job that's like sub sub minimum wage where you live off tips, you know, like. That's true. Security in, job or something like that overnight would make more sense anyway, too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, exa- exactly. Yeah, so that was just bizarre to me. Yeah, it makes sense. But I, I, I didn't get a chance to say something positive about it. There were little moments, and in general, just the, the time they spend was sometimes, at least with the actors and with the combination of writing that feels real. That's the oh, I, reason I, I stick with the yeah. That's the reason I stick with the show in general. That that scene in the uh, jail cell I thought was really interesting too. You know, like and it's the first season, I guess. Uh, one thing I liked, um, but even then, it just didn't go far enough. Um, yes, I what they're trying to say with the black influencer, um, I like the depiction of it because it was accurate. Like this guy, like I like that they didn't say, "Oh, black excellence is all about." you know, we have to be twice as good and all these like self-serving myths that they tell themselves. I like that they actually admitted that that British artsy kid was a scammer. I mean, he kind of reminded me very much of like um, people like Jeremy O'Harris and stuff, people who just are just scamming uh, gullible white people and whatever. But two things I didn't, that I still think it fell short on is at the end of the day, these white people aren't stupid. Like they're getting scammed in a way, but ultimately they're the ones who ultimately are always going to win and they're going to, um, throw away these people, you know, when they're done, and find a new pet scammer. Like, like they to a degree enjoy being scammed. I think they, it's part of their fun in letting themselves be scammed and whatever because it's a game they play that they don't have to actually give um, serious black people um, money and a chance to do things. So I think it was a little too self-flattering this idea that this influencer kid is just. Like I like the fact that it at least admitted that he's not a real talent, as a, you know, like, like his art is just like a, a joke, and that he's basically just, um, an influencer. He's just, he's just trying to like basically sell like NFTs to the art and just do whatever. And and uh, Ernest saying, yeah, I know this guy is scamming, but you know, 
should I even do anything? I'm like, okay, at least unlike a lot of these blue checks who write, he's willing to admit that, you know, the average person in this world is a scammer, but he ends up endorsing yeah. it at the end of the day. And it's, and it's part of that revenge fantasy. It, it's, it's, to me, it goes back to the waiter, the, the, the waiter, the white people waiting on black people thing where it's like, yeah. okay. So to, at the end of the day, you go back to that thing, petty revenge over um, white people, Trump's Trump's everything. So, you're working with the scammer, but now you're in addition scamming the scammer because now you've gotten yourself tapped into his his thing as a manager. So I'm like, okay, like what's what's the lesson here? Like scamming is okay yeah. as long as you scam the scammer and and whatever. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, it doesn't go deep enough. Too, yeah, yeah. Not just way too way too flattering. Like the there's a perversion that goes both ways, yeah. right? The white person yeah. is actually enjoying the idea of getting scammed by this guy and. He, he said, so I can't believe these guys they're scamming me when but, I wanted, but, you know and again but I think they missed that good. part I think they missed the part that he knows he's being scammed and that he's actually scamming the scammer himself in his own way they made the white person I think a little too stupid and oblivious well um, I think that's where you like, don't you don't lose your power right you you, you make this yeah. about making fun of white people but if you start suggesting that there's some mutuality to this perversion it, it, then it gets a little scary <laughs> or Donald Glover gives up his own game. Yeah, yeah, it, exactly. It ruins the power fantasy to admit that, you know, the white person is actually the ultimate uh, scammer in this because, you know, he he kind of knows that this person is kind of full of shit to a degree. The same way I think, like, a lot of these white people praising Jeremy and Harris, deep down, they know he's full of shit, you know? But uh, they enjoy they enjoy the game. They enjoy having the mascot and, the, you know, they enjoy going through the motions and being scammed. And that guy was sincerely... Um, clueless and dumb, and just getting like uh, his pockets run in a way that I think is, and again, maybe what you're saying it's a self-serving fantasy for people like Donald Glover to think that they're doing this to think that I'm getting away with white. it. And one day you're gonna see, right? You're gonna see how I've turned the tables. I, I wonder if that's a it's a healthy fantasy for all of us in terms of how Prince seemed to go against Warner Brothers and do all these things that kind of, I mean, obviously we're talking about a different context, but I wonder if that's just a fantasy that gets maybe shallower and shallower as it gets into this newer generation. I mean, Prince had real power and that he owned the masters. So I think he was, he was actually a different case, but to me, it reminded me more of like someone like Will Smith at the end of the day, they even came for Will Smith. Mm -hmm. So that shows at the end of the day, no matter how taken they act like they are by their mascots, they're always ready to pull the rug. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they they never love you that much where they aren't willing to pull the rug against you. Well, I'll that's the other you. question about this. Like, we've been, at, been able to watch at least two shows between the reparations and the uh, Devante uh, story. Sorry, I forget the boy's name. Um, but we watched two actors the- and actresses mm-hmm. have these powerful moments where they get to embody something that's actually fairly horrific to us, or at least horrific in the sense of, wait a sec, what's going on here? And why is this person getting a chance to, why are we spending so much time with these white actors? And they can really indulge. I wonder if there's some level of perversion that's being passed on by way of Donald Glover being the creator and everything and saying, look, you actors, this is what I want you to really dig into. I think, I think it, it just, it just seems so interesting to me. I think something in that way. I think something that might have changed it. And actually, guys, what you think, and anybody in the audience who wants to come up and call in too, I think what made the first two seasons a lot better was that they were, I think Q was kind of getting at this about Atlanta being a character. 
it was more about life with black people among black people and i think because of that the whole thing about white people living rent free in in uh upwardly mobile blacks heads wasn't as big a deal like white people and racism came in now and again but most of the time it was for example my favorite episode was the barbershop where the guy was trying to get his hair cut and he had to be he had to tag along with this with the scammy barber who, <laughs> that was, who was yeah that was hilarious i forgot about that one yeah that one was so i so identified with that one that one was good and yeah. this one i think is now he's more famous or whatever it's all about them having to navigate the white world and their mm. their neuroses around assimilation and microaggressions and and this stuff it's turning it more into a, a kind of typical blue check fixated show in a way that is kind of a like i didn't want to stagnate and just stay in the hood the whole time because i wanted to see people sure. more like like win but now that and, and this is another thing mm-hmm. i think they kind of i like to skip the step like they spent too long with his career stalled and then suddenly off screen in the three-year gap now he's like doing world tours and i'm like okay i would like to see kind of how that happened <laughs> like yeah, I feel like that would have been a good second season. I feel like that would have been a good second season to have more of a gradual climb. But they kept him kind of um, at the bottom for two whole seasons, and it was getting kind of like stale and a little bit career career progression wise. And then suddenly, he's touring <laughs> Europe, and 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 Ern is a, a much more savvy manager, and they're dealing with all these white people. But it's like I don't know something. Is, oh, wow, I thought I missed something. I thought I had missed episodes. You're describing exactly yeah. what I've experienced. I thought I thought I missed something. Just to, I'll catch up at some point. No. no, I've seen every episode. No, no, no. He didn't miss anything. Uh, the last episode of season two mm. was the airport thing where he plants something and that competing guys. Yeah, plants oh, plant a gun in his, uh, his backpack. Yeah, he plants a gun That's in his right. backpack, which I thought was. Yeah, and then it seemed like okay, we're gonna take this more seriously going forward, you know, and they kind of. Because uh, Paperboy is the closest dropping Earn as a manager because he was kind of fucking around, but then they reconciled and Earn kind of got back in by, you know, doing the other guy dirty. And then suddenly they're on top of the world. And I'm wondering if maybe they're going to fill in the, the blanks later. Like maybe that guy that he uh, fucked over is going to play a role later. Like, for example, that white guy sucks. I wonder if maybe he's somebody planted by that guy or something because there's something really nefarious about him. You know, in the yeah. phone episode, and yeah, I agree. And uh, yeah, I think they should just do a show about them and stop trying to have that these, phone these episode. Was the, the phone episode was the hardest one for me to get through because yeah. it was kind of a reflection to me of the Barbara episode, in that the theme is the character wants something urgently, but then there's somebody stopping them from getting it for no good or particular reason. Yeah, and it kind of felt like. Um, it, it, like when the setting was in Atlanta, you could really deeply relate to it because, yeah, like everybody knows uh, somebody who is just like taking you on a wild goose chase or needed you to like, you know, drive them somewhere and then like had you going completely out of your way. And then the fact that it was like the barber, like the the sort of like the 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 fact that you don't want to leave your barber, like you don't want to um, go to a different barber. I think like that was what made that so funny because it's like okay, well, why wouldn't you just take off? Well, yeah, but that's his barber. Like he's still, he's still going to go back and see him every week. And if, if you leave your barber, I mean, what you got? But in mm-hmm. this episode, episode five, with the whole phone issue, I that kind of felt more like a problem that only other celebrities could relate to. Like 
you know, like a, a clingy, a fucking annoying fan that gets into your orbit because of somebody that is like working with you or for you. You don't really know how they got there. You don't like them, but you got to put up with their bullshit. And it's like, so you inserted that character to, to do the, to play the keep away game for the whole episode. But it's like, I, as a regular dude, can't relate to any of that. Yeah, totally, totally. And it just wasn't that, like, something I'm starting noticing more about him is that he, I feel like, is always looking at things for influences. And it's becoming more and more obvious. Like, that just felt like a lot of um, usual suspects type of interrogation movies and tv episodes it made me think of an episode of the shield where uh dutch had to interrogate like a sociopath that kept pushing his buttons like like it's becoming more and more clear he's wearing his influences more and more clear clearly on his sleeves like i think he doesn't have that much internally to draw from and i think maybe that's almost leading to his defensiveness in interviews where he's getting more and more obnoxious about what a genius he is because he, he said about seasons three and four um, he was like, um, yeah, um, seasons three and four of Atlanta are going to be some of the best televisions ever made. Sopranos are only ones who can touch us. And then when questioned about the statement, he's like, I'm not backing down from that shit. I'm holding my nuts on that shit. I want audiences to know this shit is good. It's high quality shit. So he's saying that he's like, you know, going to be in the conversation. If it's with good and high quality, you don't have to tell people. Yeah, exactly. Like, why do you have to keep saying this this much? Any like, man who says, I am the king, is no king. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's the guys who call themselves alpha all the time. You know? Like, what? Like, okay. I don't know. That's the other part about this. Like, uh, I don't know if it's like a, a Kanye West thing or what, but like, this idea that um, black creatives can just talk themselves into greatness, I find that, I find it so irritating because. I have yet to meet one that talks all that good shit that can actually back it up. Mm-hmm. Like any, anybody that like gets into this like weird metaphysical shit or just straight up says like, yeah, I, you know, our, 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 my music or my comedy or this show or whatever. Like I, I, I have, I have yet to meet anybody that talks like that, that, that can actually back up what they say. Like David Mamet doesn't have to talk up his shit. It shows in the art. Like Michael Mann doesn't have to talk about Tokyo Vice; it shows in the art. But I, I, I just I'm sick and tired of like this boosterism where people either have to talk up themselves or uh, people that are hoping to get hired by them by getting discovered on social media, like riding their dick, are like they they place so much stakes on talking these people up. And I don't know if it's that like they really are trying to get hired by these people or if it's like, well, if these people don't succeed, then we're not going to get any um, future shows or movies or whatever. So we have to blindly suck up to all of these, uh, these celebrities. I don't know what the motivating factor is behind that, but I'm getting really sick of it because I have a hard time finding anything to actually watch that I even like anymore. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I don't. There's little things I like in this episode. Like, like I like that that British house was like a looked like a uh, rundown, you know, house in the front, and the back was like, you know, it, it was like a front, and then you know, in the back was like this uh, crazy looking place and everything. And but I think in a way, every ep- 
the Drake episode was kind of like that. Like, oh, this is us being around like rich stars and rich famous people are weird. This was like an elongated version of the Drake episode. And I don't think the Drake episode was that great an episode outside of some a few surreal moments. And I don't want to see like a season long Drake episode. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm looking at the people in the writer's room and they're using people from third season. You know who I'm looking at? I'm looking at our audience and thinking to myself, I know that all of you have thoughts on this. Why isn't anybody hopping up to the caller queue? That's what I'm thinking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good, that's a good point. That's a good point. You got Kay um, uh, carrying all the weight. <laughs> yeah, I was just staying here until somebody else shot behind me and I was going to jump yeah. off. No, but there's, yeah, a, there's yeah. a queue and like, people can hop up at any point that they want. So if you uh, have any feedback or any questions or whatever, I mean, feel free mm. to, to drop on the queue. Makes you, wonder, makes you wonder if people are just not watching it that much too. Is that what it is? Are a lot of people actually not watching well, um, to speak, I, I'm just catching up now. Too, even if you, even if this uh, season, I don't know, caught you by surprise, you didn't even know what was on, or you knew what was on and you just don't give a shit, I would like to hear why. Yeah, totally. Like, like why are you not watching it? Were you watching it before? Yeah, I mean, oh. I know plenty of people that just don't watch the show because they're not really fans of Donald Glover for various reasons. Um. I, I think that he has like a certain appeal and cachet to uh, certain types of black people, like the kind of like the weird sort of like weed. I'm gonna put this: the black kid in school that would do the Naruto run with his hands behind him. I think that's yeah, the yeah. <laughs> that's the demographic of black people that love this stuff the most. Doctor, there was go a ahead. girl. Uh, there was a girl. I want to say real, real quick. There was a yeah. girl who um, was writing the first two seasons. She also wrote the Barber episode, Stephanie Robinson, okay. and. I, I used to like her episodes a lot, and I noticed she is not on the list for on Wikipedia for for writing on season three. So I wonder if she left the writing mm. room, and I wonder if she was. I wonder who else left the writing room because maybe there's an actual shift in in people, and it, it, that's all I want to say. That that one one of the notable writers of the first two seasons is is gone. And um, yeah. Yeah, I wonder. Yeah, I wonder if I uh, wonder if Donald Glover pulled the reverse Paperboy, and instead of going like with his reliable black writers. You know, went and uh, went went with the the ones that his more successful friends were telling him to go with instead. Yeah, I mean, I mean, he's got one from the theater world, um, and 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 yeah, her episode wasn't that great. So yeah, and yeah, I I don't know, but yeah, by by all means, doctor, please unmute. It's uh the button in the lower right hand corner shaped like a microphone. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, to give some uh, permission to uh, this application to actually speak. And the reason why I didn't step up earlier, because you guys are kind of like answering all the questions that I had about um, this show. Uh, watching the uh, the reparation show, um, I, uh, I guess that episode, um, I had the first thing I tweeted out after watching it was, um, who is Francesca Sloan and what other things has she written? And T seems to have already answered that question. Um, and some, and provided some insight on some things I didn't quite notice, you know, when I was watching it in real time. Um, but you know, that episode to me really just kind of felt like putting the anxieties of white liberals, uh, particularly well-to-do white liberals on, on blast, you know, um, and that's like the whole anxiety, the whole, everything about that plot was wrapped up in that. So that was uh, that was my takeaway from that episode. Now the first episode 
um, which I thought was, uh, I found that one quite amusing, even though it was a very dark episode and I was a little bit worried as it was going on, how are they going to end this episode? And I wasn't too mad at the ending, especially since, you know, it finally segued into the other question I had was where's Ern and everybody. And, um, it ended it there. Um, but it did, what one thing it did do is it did make me look into the original story of the hearts. And I knew like the general story about the, you know, the two ladies that had adopted all those black uh, children and then the horrible ending there. But there was one aspect of it that I didn't know is how did those, um, how did those children end up in their hands in the first place? And there was a story, I think it was in the Oregonian where they, you know, they profiled the parents and it was uh, just as equally as devastating and gut-wrenching and heartbreaking to see how uh, that woman's children had ended up in the hands of those women. It's like basically the dad was in prison and the mom was, you know, working several jobs trying to meet and she had some other things going on. And the state just said, well, uh, you'd be, those kids would be better off somewhere else. Kind of like with the, you know, the plot in a more surrealist kind of uh almost glib way kind of dealt with the the boy that was at the center of the uh, top of the episode um where you know he was just doing silly things in class and they called him to the principal's office and then the you know the uh well it was kind of interesting the white teachers and the white guidance counselors but the black principal <laughs> all kind of came together to like uh push this kid out. And then um, even though I don't think that they, and I don't know, I, I came in late, so I don't know if you discussed this part, but um, there was a, one scene when the uh, the, ch the children protective services came to the house and the mother thought that, you know, the kid had called them. In my mind was thinking it was that guidance counselor, one of those like, you know, white women at school that called. Well, she did say, I'm going to get you out of there. Like, the, the guidance counselor said that to him when she was taking him um, away from his parents and back to class. Yeah, but my mind immediately went to that woman uh, as the one that called him, not the kid. But it was kind of interesting that the mother thought the kid had called him. You know, and uh, that was some interesting. Uh, that was some interesting stuff going on in that episode. Like you know, when I look at this show, it's like I always, <laughs> always got to think. You know, there's some parts of it that seem very, very, very real and like you know. Like the alligator man episode there was a lot of um you know there was a lot of uh weirdness in that episode but it was a lot of realness in that episode that's kind of like how i see these episodes i'll do i do notice there's a little bit difference in the the writing maybe because of the setting maybe it's because that you know paper boys become this celebrity that we're having to see all these celebrity problems instead of the stuff that was going back on you know going back um home in atlanta um and I found that the commentary you guys had earlier kind of answered a lot of those questions I had about it. So that's why I didn't speak up. You know, what's funny. Uh, one of the complaints I kind of always had about some of these um, creatives is I'm like, you know, why are you always telling stories about uh, blue collar and, you know, black people from the hood? And why don't you tell some stories you have a personal connection to and whatever but i gotta say this might be one case where i actually think i like donald glover better when he was telling stories of people from the hood rather than stories about being a celebrity because now i feel like 
this season might be more personal. And I'm not crazy about it. It's uh, I don't know. It's it feels more personal, but less authentic. Oh, that's a good way of right. putting it. You're like, because right. like it's like it. everything, every fuck up that has happened throughout these episodes aren't actually their fuck ups. It's it's like you know the the rich white dude uh, scammed Paperboy and like uh, I forget uh, the character that uh, like he Stanfield plays. I forget his name, but like he finds himself like around these uh, these weird white people and this this Asian woman accidentally thinks that he's making a pass at her and he totally wasn't. So like. Whereas in the previous two seasons, um, all of, like each all of them would make mistakes, and then the mistakes would boomerang back on them. And now it kind of feels like they are sort of like bouncing from place to place, from weird situation to weird situation, and they're not they're not the cause of any of what's happening. They're simply being led along by the plot and by white people's weirdness, and not by any of the mistakes that they're still making. And it kind of feels like what Donald Clover is afraid to do is discuss uh, professional failure or professional mishaps, right? Like you, you can't in your in his whole career. There's no way that he can look at everything that he's done and be like, "Oh yeah, like nothing, nothing that ha- I haven't had any misfortune, um, and any misfortune that I've had is completely somebody else's fault." Like there's got to be something that's his own fault. So I kind of feel like he's a lot more comfortable play acting the you know like the the lazy like down on his luck fuck up because that's a life that he hasn't really had to live and now that he has to talk about the life that he is living it's a lot more difficult and a lot uh i think a little bit too personal to talk about where he's made mistakes that reminds me of my critique with uh girls where everyone was talking about like what autobiographical thing it is i'm like well no because it kind of looks like her and she wants to be a writer and everything but this girl is totally unconnected, whereas the real Lena Dunham is somebody who all her friends are children of famous people, and all she had to do to get a show was walk in the door with a, with a post-it note. That's a true story of a sentence as an idea, and they said, okay, we'll come back to us with a show. And and I'm like, that would be an interesting story instead of you kind of play-acting as a struggling artist, you know what I mean? Like, I, But then again, maybe what you're saying is right. If she did write that show, she wouldn't be able to be as brutal as she was when she was play acting the yeah. unconnect, unconnected, clueless um, writer who keeps hitting walls trying to um, blow up. Yeah, and like uh, you'll see in her own right. Like, remember how many times that she's either like made statements about herself or given interviews or wrote her memoir, and every time she opens her mouth, people get mad at her because like the stuff that she's Everything from like uh, like the straight up molestation of her sister to um, sitting next to Odell Beckham Jr. and he didn't make a pass at her and like all all of the like the the strange quirks that she actually has rather than that she's written into her character, people really hate that shit. And I think I don't know if maybe like Donald Glover has sort of taken her cue or or seen you know what she had to go through and doesn't want to go through the same thing himself. But it seems like. He's doing the exact same thing in the sense that he's not doing an authentic examination of himself or of celebrity or any of that. He's examining maybe the industry and like the vicissitudes of having to do what you have to do to make money in that industry. But there's no self-reflection there. But when he does this, uh, you know, this self-interview interview, people get mad at it because he is being authentically himself and it's insufferable. 
the question mm. I have, just a question I have about that though. Do you think Earn the character is really a Donald Glover self insert or kind of placeholder for himself, the way that Lena Dunham's character might have been in Girls? I don't truly think either of them are self inserts. I yeah, think, yeah. I think both of them are. I think both of them are the way they that they imagine themselves to be. Um, you know, like. Oh, oh. Uh, Sorry, go ahead. I I feel like you can call them decoy inserts, as in yeah. like they're they want, they want people to believe that's an insert as a way to kind of distract them people from having to look at the real them. Right. That's fair enough. Yeah, I think that's like much the same way that, uh, like, uh, but Jerry Jerry Seinfeld's decoy insert was on purpose. Like, he wanted the audience to know that okay, this person isn't like this person is an actual piece of shit. Um, like this whole gang don't really care about anybody but themselves. And if you, if you go about your life like this, you're going to ruin everything. You'll probably end up in jail. Um, I don't think he was really giving away too much of himself in the show so much as he was like being the on purpose, being the worst version of himself. But I think with a lot of these, these newer creatives, they try to, they try to do authenticity, but they can't actually do it. So they have to play so like Jerry Seinfeld being it's being the yeah it's staged authenticity exactly yeah like Jerry Seinfeld like he didn't play like a down in his luck comedian who was like just trying to make it he played an actual comedian who was fairly successful uh and with uh with with Earn and with Hannah it's like they're struggling to like break through to anything and was like but neither of you two struggled for all that long like you have you've had fairly stratospheric careers given the amount of time it took you to get there yeah yeah i mean donald glover got like one of the plumbest uh jobs for a tv writer while he was still in nyu like you know so he didn't even have to have a break from you know college to his first writing gig he was on the writing staff of um 30 rock which is kind of an amazing story so yeah it's 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 interesting that that like everything he's saying is true. I'm looking at these upcoming episodes and the people that they have on. I think you're right that maybe he went from like people that maybe there were black people that he knew were like the best and went to people that uh, it still seems to be mostly black except with the one that Latina Latinx. And I don't know if maybe that letter made him think, hey, maybe I should put a Latinx on here because she was a signatory to that letter. I don't know, but these people all seem to be kind of big shakers uh, or. So like the next guy is this guy called Ibra Ake, and he's a Nigerian guy who did uh, Beyonce's Black is King. So, and this episode is going to be called White Fashion. So I'm like, okay, let's give you another thing where white people are living oh rent God. free in your mind. I, and, and I'm just worried it's going to be another really white-centered episode and somebody who, um, you know. Well, the thing is, like, they've all been so far. Yeah, yeah, they've all they've all been this season. They've all been. You're right. Even the ones that aren't particularly about Earn or you know about. So I'm like, what's white fashion gonna be about? There's one called, um, training to the bone. Then there's new jazz. Oh my god. Then there's, then there's rich wigger, poor wigger. So so so, wigger is gonna be. That's gonna be an interesting one. I don't know. Yeah. What, but yeah, yeah, it's a little too white centered. It's like I wouldn't mind them actually going into the white world. I just don't want to see them if go into it if this is what they're going to do with it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I completely rather, that. So rather than the, the route that they appear to be taking, what would you rather like to see them do with this kind of interaction with something they might have done in the earlier seasons or 
something else entirely. I would really like to see. Uh, I would like to see Donald Glover sort of examine um, some of the professional mishaps or behind the scenes stuff that he might have had when he was working on Thirty Rock or when he was working on Community, like. You know some of the some of the shit that he would have had to deal with, and maybe be like self introspective. Um, you know where where can I take some responsibility for what I did? Because it seems like he's willing to do that when he's play acting a completely different character from, from himself while the show was set in Atlanta. But now that it's I think a lot closer to home for him, he's 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 on his own turf. Um, yeah, it it just doesn't feel like he's actually being authentic, and I think. I don't know, like what made the show so good for the first couple of seasons was even when it wasn't that good, it was still authentic. And I feel like it's it's just lost its authenticity. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I I, I agree. Um, you know, I wonder what training to the bone is going to be. When I no, when I hear that, I just I'm like, who? <sighs> Who, like, I know it's not him, so really, who on that staff is going to be good enough to tell any kind of story to do with, anything to do with Trinidad? I don't know. Uh, somebody named, named uh, somebody named Jordan Temple is writing that one, and, 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 and his bio says, he's a comedian, and his bio from his website says, a New York City-born, New York-based, multi-hyphenate, I, I, I hate that word, multi-hyphenate. Oh, Everything I'm hearing so far just makes me not yeah. want to watch it, yeah. Comedian hyphen playwright hyphen writer hyphen stand-up hyphen actor who grew up in the projects peeing in the stair yeah okay i'm good man oh jesus christ i think i might skip that one sounds yeah. like a bingo card in progress oh yeah yeah it's not it, it's not too it, grew it, up it, peeing in the stairs peeing in the staircase and, and also the the elevator uh He's a writer producer for Abbott Elementary, which I haven't tried. I mean, well, actually, I tried fifteen minutes of it. Oh, oh, he he worked on Marvelous Miss Maisel as a co-producer. That show is terrible. Mm. Yeah, but I mean, I don't know. He he, he might be good. I don't know. Uh, I, I I don't want to jump on. I don't I, I don't want to just shit on people. No, I know, I know, I know. It's just you know, regardless of whatever. Hey, maybe the episode ends up being good. But that bio, I hated everything I heard in that bio. Why the yeah. fuck would you say something like that? I grew up peeing in the staircase in the elevator. So, when, um, yeah, when do you guys think? Uh, I don't know. You, you, you grew up peeing in your bed, too? Why don't you tell nobody about that? <laughs> yeah, when do you think that whole trend started when people started attaching these kind of things to themselves, like peeing in the staircase or some kind of... This, a, it's guess, this, like, this endless search for black authenticity. And it's like if you're if you're comfortable in your blackness, you don't have to you don't have to garnish your resume with this stuff. You know what I mean? Like it it, it right. kind of goes to like on uh, on this week's uh, Drop Squad. You know, so myself, Rennie, and Jamel, we're gonna be talking about like this idea that people have to code switch to get by at work. Because Jamel oh, said something. I, I can't wait to hear that one. Yeah, he said something controversial last week and was just like, you know, code switching is like you know, real talk. Is that even really necessary? Um, y'all just afraid to be yourselves and people got so mad at that and I'm like but it's fucking true like I I don't change the way that I talk like I, I talk like a dude if you go to if you go to Rexdale uh, if you go to the neighborhood of Rexdale in Toronto, Ontario and you talk to people they're probably going to sound a lot like me I don't change the way that I talk or the, the way that I act or behave I'm the same dude and I think that like um, 
what makes people so upset is that they believe that for white approval, they have to be inauthentic and be a little bit more assimilated. And that's kind of like what, um, what I hear when someone says like, Oh, you know, grew up peeing in the staircases. Cause it's like, so you, it actually goes in the opposite direction too, where a black person who may not feel secure enough in their blackness, but knows that there's a certain cultural cachet in it, especially in the entertainment industry is going to play up aspects of blackness that white people can relate to through mass media, through entertainment. So they might listen to some fucking rap albums. They might watch the movie Juice or Clockers or something like that. Like, they're going to have these cultural touchstones. Um, they're going to have these these black cultural touchstones that are mostly provided through mass entertainment. And so black people who are looking to get ahead in the industry then have to garnish their bios and resumes with that stuff that white people would recognize as authentic blackness so that they can then offer up their own version of authentic blackness as the black people whisper or the manager. And it really infuriates me because it's like, like any, any self-respecting black person doesn't have to play up those aspects about themselves. It'll just come out in the art that you do. You don't have to tell that about yourself. Tell it through your art. Totally agree. And, I, I, I totally and agree. I think, and I think that was one of the, uh, the biggest appeal points of Atlanta when it first debuted is that, it was kind of to the left of what you, or at least what, you know, media prior to this point had people thinking of a Donald Glover associated project. Um, but there's another, uh, Q brought up an interesting uh, point in his commentary. I wonder if another reason why it's done is kind of to reinforce some of those same media stereotypes in particular, um, kind of to prove people, to kind of show to people oh, this is a way for you to get out of from uh, poverty or from a lower point into a, you know, an, a higher, more respectable point, um, you know, through, you know, the industry. Um, I wonder if that's another reason why that's being done. Oh, I'm sorry, could you repeat that? I'm not sure I got that. Are, are you there still? Yeah, did we lose you? Yeah, no, I got uh, I, I clicked on the wrong thing. I guess the I, I was wondering if um, another reason why this is done is to kind of paint this picture of somebody who has come from nothing and is now being raised into something because of this job that they have. Um, like you know, reinforcing that particular stereotype in line. Oh with yeah, everybody wants to have like a. Um... Uh, like a Horatio Alger story. Everybody wants to have a God. I hate the phrase "pulled up by their bootstraps" because the whole point of the whole point of the phrase is that it is impossible. It is impossible to pull yourself up by your bootstraps, whatever. But everybody wants to have like their own personal Horatio Alger story. And people, especially when you're doing mass media, people can tell when that shit is inauthentic. Like I know when I'm talking. I know when I'm talking to somebody who grew up in a low-income neighborhood. Um, like I, I, it just, it's authentic. There's a, there's, there's cultural markers and cultural touchstones and the way people speak, some of the idioms that they use, like there are things that will indicate to me what their background is and they don't have to tell me any of that. And I think that's like, um, that's a, a, a skill that has, it is, I wouldn't say it's lost, but it's, it's slowly eroding. Like it's slowly disappearing. This idea of like having to do exposition dumps. And it's not just in the storytelling. It's also in people's 
um, way of being about themselves is that they are walking exposition dumps. You have to tell me everything about yourself so that I will believe a particular narrative about you. But if you just shut the fuck up and gave me your, if you just told me your stories, gave me your art, whatever, there's a lot that I can infer um, about the ways that you, or where you might've grown up or even like what my, what kind of research that you put into, like how much work you put into understanding your subject matter. And if you're just going to tell me this is who I am, this is where I grew up, yada, yada, yada. It's like, well, now that you've just told me that, what else is there to know about you? It, it seems superficial and two dimensional now. Have you guys, have you guys noticed the, um, have you guys noticed the weird, um, episode blurb descriptions that, that he has the really passive aggressive head. Excuse me. Have, have you no, guys, I've have just, you I've just watched them? the episode. I haven't, uh, I, I know that you, you tend to look I, I at the do. liner, you look at the liner notes. I don't do that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, actually, it's, it, it, it's, it's, yeah, it's kind of unavoidable actually, because on FX, um, it appears under the title so when you oh, select the episode i'm not sure how, how it is could you watch it on a different service than, than FX, I, I watch right? i watch all my shit on iptv i don't pay for none of that shit okay so yeah. so basically uh you can't avoid seeing it because when you go to uh click the episode it shows up right oh under i the see episode. i see yeah so, yeah so 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 this is what it is and again it's like that i'm gonna insult myself before you insult me and it's so passive aggressive and somebody described him this way after the last episode and it's so true that he's someone extremely passive aggressive trying to pretend they're aggressive aggressive so um what did season, you do this time? season three episode one uh three slaps and then under the the title the synopsis is wow it's been a minute i mean i like this episode about the troubled kid but we waited 50 years for this and each blurb is like trying to be defensive in that what the hell is of, that of what the twitter feedback's going to be. So it's like, hey, before you even say this, I already know what you're going to say, uh, online critic. And then the, the next one, uh, Sinterklaas is coming to town. I think everybody knows blackface ain't cool anymore. We get it. They be trying too hard to go viral. And it's like, why are you so huh? Yeah, why are you so Who's they? Like, what, uh, what is he talking about? He, he, what, what he's trying to do is he's trying to uh, be, the, be the mouthpiece of the imaginary Twitter Oh, is that that like, okay, yeah, that defensive style of writing where, yeah, I, I see critics do that a lot where they like anticipate the feedback that they're about to get. And then so they'll like write a sentence and end it with an exclamation mark. And really like they're not responding to a cogent thought that they had. What they're responding to is the criticism that they imagine that they're going to get by somebody who's reading the article. Yeah, that, that I hate that defensive style of writing. Just say what you want to say and shut the fuck up. Um. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's so annoying. He's very very defensive. So 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 um. So let me let me start over again with that context. So, so basically, he's trying to write what he thinks some some Twitter nobody who's a hater is gonna write. So he's writing the synopses in the voice of a hater instead of just saying what the episode's about. So it's like, wow, it's been a minute. I mean, I like this episode about the troubled kid, but we waited fifty years for this. Because he thinks that's what people are going to say. I mean, it seems very insecure. And then the next one is, I think everybody knows blackface ain't cool anymore. We get it. They be trying too hard to go viral. And then the next one, which is about, uh, you know, the old man in the tree. This one was cool. Going to rich parties and meeting weirdos. Season one was better. So it's like he's it's almost like being defensive that he knows people are going to like season one better. And it's like, 
you seem very unconfident about this season. And then, the, the, remember, remember how we remember we keep going back to this, like the, um, the anti tryhard tryhards. Yes, yes, a, it, a very, that is exactly cult- what that sounds like. Exactly, a very cultivated um, apathy, like like a fake a fake apathy, like you know, like like this this apathetic appearance you're trying is way too curated and and try hard to be true apathy. Um, for the reparations episode, one sentence. I was legit scared watching this. I, I mean, at least it wasn't passive aggressive. Then the fifth one, which is the uh, about the phone. The synopsis is sometimes shows just be over my head acting fake deep. Where's the poop joke? So he's already telling people if you don't like this show, it's because you're stupid. If you don't like that episode, like it's like he's gonna ruin a lot of goodwill. But I think, uh, and I think it's been happening. A lot of people who have been like very um, on his side and like the first two seasons. They've even been telling me that uh, there's something about this season that, that they're not liking. And I think he's anticipating that happening. And instead of reflecting on himself he's preemptively attacking anyone who might not like it they haven't even said anything yet so between these synopses the content of the episodes and that interview that was weirdly hostile before the season even started you know i think he's going to create a self-fulfilling prophecy where when it does uh, become negatively received which i think it's going to have to be because he would not be doing all this unless it tested maybe badly already and it's too late to or he got a lot like i feel a lot of people gave him some negative feedback about this season already and maybe he had like writer's block or trouble with it and he completed it but i don't think he's confident it's going to go over well and he's trying too hard to keep telling people how great it is and yeah. preemptively be defensive I, i'm not confident it's gonna end well this at this point yeah and keep it like you know i i have a lot of sympathy for any creative because it is very difficult to come up with something out of thin air and, and then give people your you know your uh, your your unfiltered and then revised and then thrice revised thoughts that become a thing like that process is by no means easy and it is very hard to hide your flaws so i i have a lot of sympathy for that but i think the what a lot of people end up doing um, with regard to criticism is taking it like a criticism means something about you personally. So I had to, uh, and this is like a, a totally different field. Like this is, you know, journalism, but I had to sit through a lot of heavy criticism of my writing and some of it was valid and, and a lot of it wasn't like, you know, if I, if I got that people were upset because I was writing about, you know, like white supremacy or if I was writing about like, uh, you know, pan-Africanism or whatever the hell. And uh, if I was writing about racism and people weren't okay with that, well, it's like, well, this is what I write about. If you don't like it, just turn the fucking page. But if there are things that I missed or if there's uh, events that I alighted, um, if there's like an analysis that could have been better that I didn't utilize, then I have to sit with that criticism and try to do better next time. And I think with a lot of these creatives, they, they want to come across like they don't really have a personal stake in how their work does. And I think the more like the the more that somebody is trying to convince me that they don't care kind of tells me actually, yeah, you do care. You just don't want me to you don't want me to think that you do so that I am less likely to severely critique it. Or if I do, I don't think that I've gotten one over on you because all that matters to you is the idea of like 
either dominating or being dominated by somebody else because that's what you've had to put up with in your industry. So you think that all critics are just trying to dominate you as well. And I think there's something, I don't know, kind of sad about that because you should be able to put together a piece of art and release it out into the world. And whatever people think about it, they think about it. And you can take the feedback that helps you become a better artist or a writer or whatever, and then you can reject that, which you don't feel is going to help you grow. And that's all you have to do with it. Anything past that, that is your own response. Like that is, that is sitting over there with you. You're generating, whether it's that like anxiety or that angst or that passive aggressiveness or whatever, that's completely sitting over there with you. That's what you made of it. That had nothing to do with people who criticize your work or your audience. Uh, something that's really interesting about it too, is I'm, I haven't read the actual reviews yet, but I've looked at Rotten Tomatoes just to see and the critics are loving this season like the reparations episode got like 90 percent like, like the legacy media critics white and black are mostly loving it so out of like 80 critics it was like 98 percent and the same for all the episodes and people calling it a bizarre a surreal concept album of a season and all this stuff so it's so the the irony I think is, a lot of them are just afraid to I think a lot of them are just afraid to see what they really think uh yeah yeah maybe but I, I also think a lot of these um uh, legacy media critics don't have a what they really think i think uh yeah, yeah i don't think they really have a core uh I, I always remember this line from a, a song where it says some people won't dance unless they know who's singing and i thought some people are like that just as as critics like uh they figure out what they're supposed to um feel about something what they, what they think they're supposed to feel about something before they actually explore what they actually uh feel about it so I think there'll be a lag time. I think it would have to have a series of bad episodes or a particularly bad payoff for the tie to actually turn critically. But I think this one of the ironies about his defensiveness is that so far, at least on an episode-by-episode episode basis, it hasn't happened yet, this, um, this uh, other shoe dropping. But he seems, for whatever reason, really anticipating that um, mm-hmm. people are not going to like these, these episodes to, uh, to me. But there's a name for what you describe uh, in psychology. They call it like self-handicapping, where people um, try to they anticipate failure. So they try to um, preemptively do ego-saving, um, ego-preserving measures uh, in anticipation of the failure. And in some cases, almost hasten the failure to get it over with and then you know just give their excuse. And the classic example is, the person who always announces that they d- didn't even study for this test. So they show up and they're like, man, I can't believe it. I didn't even study for this test. I was, out, I was out drinking last night. You know, whether it's true or not, maybe they were, maybe they weren't. But they say it so it's like, hey, if I do fail this test, um, I already let everybody know I was out drinking whatever. Um, but if I do great on this test, then I could say, hey, damn, look at how I did. I didn't even study. Can you imagine if I tried? And for that person... The ego failure, uh, the ego hit that comes from being the kind of person who goes out and parties before a test yeah, uh, uh, is less hurtful to them or less threatening to every self. Every gifted so, kid knows a little something something about that. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the ego hit that comes from um, being the kind of person, being perceived as the kind of person who goes out and parties before a test is less threatening to the self-image than mm. being the person who tried 100% and just didn't measure up. They'd rather be considered a slacker than be considered um, um, un- untalented. Right. And 
But the pro- it feels like yeah. the problem is though that that is like that's what makes up the entirety of the entertainment class. Mm. Right. Like I I don't know people. I don't know. I'm thinking of like there's there's a few artists here and there that are 100 percent earnest in what they do. Um, <laughs> you, uh, I mean, I think Kendrick Lamar is 100 percent earnest in what he does. I would agree. Right? I would say that. Um, I would say like the last really earnest filmmaker, like the last last really earnest filmmaker was probably John Singleton. Oh, black oh, black black filmmaker that is. One thing that's ironic is that the character's name is uh, Ernest. On, on Atlanta. Oh yeah, ironically, fair enough. Ironically, yeah, 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 and, yeah. And and he's not being earnest. Yeah, no, like, but but have you seen how how much? Like, I don't know if you, if you watched that show Snowfall. Oh yeah, yeah. In fact, have I you seen suggest- like ever since he died, it's just fallen right the hell off. Oh really? I think it got better since he died. You think so? No, <laughs> yeah. man. I, okay. Oh, that's great because this is one that we actually agree on. I mean, disagree on. Disagree. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we should do that as a later, as a later episode. I mean, I, I liked it when he did it too, but that's so interesting. I think if it, it fell off, I loved it after he, he died more. So, uh, but please give me, give me your point of view. I'm I'm very open to it. No, I just I, I find that I, uh, the characters are less believable and the plot doesn't seem to really be going anywhere. Like it, uh, I don't know without because like I haven't I'm not completely caught up on it. Um, you know, you, like you know how it is with me. Like if there's something that I hate, I will watch it because I need to know why I dislike it so much. But if it's, like, mediocre, I'll just lose interest. Oh, I'm and there's so nothing... interested in... Uh, and the funny thing was, I was going to suggest this to you as a, as a, as a, a topic for next week, and now I really want to do it, because I, I really want to hear... Uh... G- give me a couple of weeks to get completely caught up, because I've got a bunch of other, like, video essays and whatnot to do. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No no problem. No yeah. problem. Um, yeah, so, I mean... Uh, that's the last thing I would I would say about this is that I think there's a weird defensiveness and a lack of faith in this season based on his antics around it. And now that I've actually seen the season, I'm getting more and more of a sense of why his episode, why his interviews are a he doesn't want to talk to real people and why he's being so preemptively um, arrogant. I feel like there's some kind of ego-saving measure. And I'm saying this is someone who really liked the first two seasons. Like, I'm not yeah. a hater of, of his at, at all. No, I, no, I, I liked, I mean, um, my wife is a much bigger Donald Glover fan than I am. Like, she, you know, she has his albums, and she loved that show community. So she was actually the one that was, like, super um, eager uh, to watch the show Atlanta when it first came out, and I was like, "All right, whatever." I was, just, if you like it, I love it. I'll watch it with you. And I, I, I was actually pleasantly surprised. I was like, "Wow, this is act. This is really. This is a lot better than I expected." Um, but I, I, it kind of feels like that initial hesitance that I had about it, and the reasons why I had the initial hesitance. It feels like it's all coming out this season. Yeah, and I have friends in uh, media, and I've asked them, but I mean, like, they're much. I don't want to name them because I want to blow up their spot, but. Uh, they know personally or professionally a lot of uh, the people who are like you know working on this show, and they were telling me, yeah, uh, that person's terrible. That person's terrible about like some of these season three writers. So it's kind of making me um, not confident. Like either they know from personal experience, or they've heard like through the grapevine that this person is just um, you know a pretty obnoxious obnoxious climber. So yeah, yeah, I I, I don't know a couple of the people. They don't know so maybe those people will surprise me i have no i have no idea but um yeah, we'll yeah i mean we'll, we'll see maybe he'll stick the landing and i'll be wrong i mean but the, the one last thing i'll say but somebody who was interviewed was bragging so much about 
social media and him like being above it and whatever between all the social media Easter eggs that are all throughout the show and his defensive um, log lines to the episodes, the, the synopses that are in the voice of a Twitter critic in anticipation of what they're going to say. I think he's way more focused on social media than he's Yeah, I pretending. think so too. Yeah. I, I don't think that any of his um, like media critics, um, I don't think that any of them would have offered the kind of critique that you've just, from what you just explained to me, it doesn't sound like he's hedging against any of them. He's hedging against what's going to end up on uh, Twitter and Instagram. Twitter. Yeah, yeah, I agree. The media, yeah, yeah, the media seems to be in the tank for him. I think it's going to be the social media that he is, uh, he is afraid of. And that'll be interesting because, and he's not totally wrong in that a lot of people on social media already hate him for like unfair reasons. We, we always joke about this. Like there's actual good reasons to critique him. And for some reason, the social media people seem primed to hate him for like things that just seem like, okay, that's a weird reason to hate him when that's right there. Like, uh, um, Brandy Jensen, uh, friend on, on Twitter made a good tweet once about saying, uh, Twitter's an amazing place where uh, a lot of people will have the most slam dunkable, easiest target and somehow come up with the least defensible uh, attack on them. Uh, you can imagine. You're like, wait, how yeah, did yeah. How did you go there? Of all the things you could criticize this person for, like this person. No, you know what? The, I, I know exactly where that comes from, though. And that's not like, I, I think that um, <clears throat> we we're talking about this last week about his interview. I think that. A lot of times when uh, somebody like Donald Glover has that like the big glowing target on his chest, like a you know like a like, like a boss fight in a video game or something, people will go for the the area that is not really the target because attacking that kind of means attacking themselves. Oh, that makes that makes sense. So it's like if yeah. I criticize this yeah. about him, I'm also criticizing the same tendency in myself, and that hits a little bit too close to home for that. And frankly, like I, I don't know, like I just I think what also helps me um because i mean I, I don't normally do a lot of like film and tv criticism most of my criticism is literary um so when i when i'm writing uh, a book review and i'm critiquing something i'm not just critiquing it for the sake of you know being a being a critic or being a hater or whatever although i, I will say that if anybody hasn't read this book there's a really good book um by a friend of mine john semley who is a, a film critic for the globe and mail and the book is called Hater, and he talks about like the virtues of, of like solid critique, in which he actually names Armand White as like one of the, the last great critics of the twenty first century. But um like when I when I'm writing a critique of any particular book, it's because there's something there's a weakness that I might see in the writing that I'm also trying to correct in myself, and by observing it and saying something about it, it's like, well, maybe I can help make myself better or make myself a better writer by either avoiding or improving on this thing. And I think for a lot of people, because of that whole like self handicapping, they don't really want to be that introspective and figure out how to improve themselves. Because if they do, if they um, critique a thing and then they improve that about themselves, whether professionally or personally, and they still put their best foot forward and flop, then what was the point yes. of that? So people end up in this yes. weird defensive shell. And, and what does it mean about their ideas about their own talent? Like, like I sent you that article that I thought was pretty interesting about uh, the fixed mindset versus the growth mindset and how some people that ties into self handicapping. Yeah, that, that's, yeah. You know where where people feel like if my identity is being smart, 
then going forward, I'm more interested in protecting my existing identity as a genius rather than um, taking risk and possibly um, um, deflating that identity that I've become so invested in, in, in protecting. And yeah, I think that happens a lot. Last thing I'll, I will say, I, I was thinking about, uh, somebody said this to me once and I thought it was so funny. I can't remember who said it, but they said Twitter's the one place where somebody will be like, hey, guess what, people? I like to eat third world babies. That's my jam. I eat third world babies <laughs> all the time. And then I wash it down with a glass of milk. I cannot um, eat a third world baby without washing it down with a glass of milk. And someone will start a, a tweet thread like, we need to talk about how uh, Joe is ableist for not thinking about lactose intolerant <laughs> people. I was like, wait, he fucking eats babies. <laughs> what the fuck are you doing? Like, <laughs> I think Donald Glover is like, uh, that, that happens a lot with him. So, so these people are baby eaters themselves. They they like third world <laughs> yeah. babies for dinner, and, they, and they're not going to come at him for that. Yeah, 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 no, I get that. Uh, well, if you, got, if you have no other... Um, if you have no other uh, callers, you should probably go ahead and wrap it up. Uh, T, did you want to do the the housekeeping before we go? Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, the house the house cleaning, as you refer to it, the house cleaning. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. The, yeah, the, the house cleaning is more thorough, but no, I've I've switched to housekeeping. I've I've settled on housekeeping, but uh, oh, thank God. I'll just say if you, yeah, 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 yeah. But actually, just for spite, I'm gonna go back to house house cleaning. <laughs> but uh, no, no. Uh, check check out actually. Check out ChampagneSharks.com for all the links uh, that tie, tie into Champagne Sharks and our our side podcast that I have with Rita, Kenny, and Mario. You should definitely be checking that out. And also, if you like any parts of this show and you really enjoy them, highlight the clips of the show, and we will automatically be updated the clips you make, and we will share them on social media. So it's a great way to help us promote the show and also let us know what parts of the show you like so that we know to um, produce more of those. So uh, the highlight clip, I have not done it myself. Mario, I mean, uh, Q, can you just remind people how to make the highlights? Yeah, yeah. So when the uh, the show is complete, um, there's a little scissor button or a little uh, scissor icon uh, that when you, if you're listening to the episode um, after the fact, if you weren't listening to it live, but you uh, you caught the episode after it was already published, there's a little scissor icon that you can uh, you can click on and uh yeah at any point in the show you can go ahead and, and make a highlight or if you're like reading through the transcript um again you can like uh click on uh portions of the transcript and then make a highlight of that so you know the, the more often we get highlights like the more interaction that we get obviously the uh, the better the, the the show does and if you like us uh, please support us uh, share our work and uh oh yeah the the patreon should i tell them about the culture patreon as well uh yeah please give i was gonna ask you to do the culture um house housekeeping because uh you know more of the there's sure, a lot sure, of yeah. stuff going on with the culture yeah so uh the the culture.tv is is basically like uh news um politics and culture mostly through a socialist analysis but uh there's there's other uh, works like uh, this one uh media masochists there's also the new frankfurt school um and uh the upcoming negro subversive uh, in addition to uh, the Monday live stream, the Wednesday Canuck cast, and the Tuesday and Thursday call-in show. So there's a heck of a lot that the culture.tv um, provides. And if you like our stuff, uh, there's only one way to keep us on the air, and that's to support us. So if you go to uh, patreon.com forward slash theculture.tv, 
That's culture with a K D O T T V. Um, and you know, support us with any amount you like the, uh, the tiers are mostly cosmetic. Um, we don't uh, reward people with like behind the scenes or secret episodes or anything like that. It's really just a matter of like, what is comfortable for you to support us with. Um, but there are many of us in the group uh, working in front of the scenes and behind the scenes. So, you know, T and myself are uh, two of the, uh, the the show hosts and there's other show hosts. But there's also like, you know, the uh, the audio people. There's uh, video people that uh, do the editing for our streams and uh, and video essays, et cetera. Uh, there's people that uh, edit our um, articles that's uh, coming out for the upcoming podcast or the upcoming Substack. So, you know, whatever you can uh, uh, send our way would be greatly appreciated. Uh, well said, and yeah, that's that's the end. Sunday is going to be a regular night for us, and I have a suggestion for a second day, but I don't want to confirm it until we uh, uh, settle on it behind. But yeah, there'll be at least two two nights a week. And what's the breakdown going to be? One's going to be about reviewing media. Oh yeah, and yeah, the other yeah, one... yeah. One one is about uh, reviewing like actual like TV films and so on, and the other is about uh, reviewing the shittiest articles that we've we've had that week yeah yeah so so that will be the two episodes a week and with that everybody please subscribe to people on the stage subscribe to each other you know try to make uh friendships on here because why not and follow not just the speakers but also the show media masochist so you can be updated in the future and with that have a good night everyone and we will see you soon